would please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20, verse 9. We uh, are finishing up this week in uh, our uh, series here. And, you know, I thought for a long time maybe the, the pattern was that I was preaching on the holiday weekends for Chris. And I just realized now there's a new pattern, and it's actually closing out series. So uh, I, I'm the closer, I guess, which is a baseball fan. I'll, I'll, I'll take it, I guess. I'll take it. So if you would, please look with me at Luke chapter 20, verses 9. We'll be reading through 18. Before we do that, though, um, I want to... Maybe remind us, it was a good reminder for me as I was studying this this week, what the purpose of the parables um, is. And um, uh, providentially, I actually ran into a quote this week uh, by Frederick Buechner, who calls them small stories with a big point, um, which is really helpful. But uh, Jesus gives us a little bit more if we go back into uh, chapter 13. You don't have to uh, go there. Chapter 13 of The gospel of Matthew, uh, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them, the crowds in parables? And he answered them to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given for to one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. And this is what I want us to See and pray about this morning, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then you go down to 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And so there's there's kind of three levels of seeing, I think, with these parables. There's first that you see the the small story. You, you understand what's going on in the story. And then there's a. A seeing in which you understand the point of the story. The, the story is actually pointing to a greater, to a truth, to a point beyond itself. It's not just a good story, but there's a point beyond it. And then I think there's a seeing that we need to pray for of seeing even beyond the point and seeing the point for us. Seeing how it speaks to us as individuals. Because it's easy to see those first two, but I think we really need the help of the Holy Spirit to see the third. So let's... Uh, we're going to read the passage and then I'm going to pray for us to see those things. So Luke 20 verse nine. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
When they, the crowd, heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is that? What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. What a gift it is to be able to open up our Bibles and to look at what you would have for us to see. See about you, see about ourselves, see about what you are doing in the world throughout history. See the good news of what you have done in your son. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would see clearly by the power of your spirit. Open our eyes that we would see what it is that you would have us see this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we want to see this morning, obviously, is the small story, the parable. So let's just kind of. Let me just kind of work back through that for us. It's very common. It was very common in that part of the world for there to be a a landowner who would own a piece of land and then kind of live elsewhere. And um, and so when Jesus is telling the story, he's speaking into the context of them understanding that there would have. This was a common occurrence and that landowner would then use servants to go and collect the the profits and the fruits of that land to help, uh, you know, distribute those things, make sure everything was running very well. This is obviously a a vineyard. Um, Well, that's kind of what's going on here. And then things go off the rails, right? He sends a sends a servant And that servant, the tenants who are running the land, the locals, these local tenants, they actually beat up the servant that's sent by the owner. And uh, they send him back empty handed. And so the owner then does it again. Same result. Does it a third time. Same result. And so then the owner says, the owner says, "Okay, I'm going to send my son. And in the parable, it's. Beloved son to kind of give us a clue, right? And so he says, I'm going to send my son. Surely they're going to respect. I mean, the idea is is surely they're going to respect that the owner's son has come. This should be dealt with the way they're supposed to deal with it. And what do they do? It says they threw him out. They carried him out. And then they killed him. And then Jesus asked um, his listeners, what will the owner do to the tenants who have done this? Now, here in in, in Luke's gospel, he he answers himself, but in um, but in Matthew, they give the answer that the owner will come and he will destroy them and give the vineyard. To others, and in uh, Matthew, it's to the, to some who will be bearing fruit, who will produce fruit. But it, here in Luke, the answer, of course, the only answer we get from the crowd is a surely not. So, 
What is the big point? That's the the small story. What's the big point that Jesus is trying to communicate? You know, in some ways, this is actually one of the easier parables to understand. I mean, there's a lot of them. I mean, I have I have a seminary degree and I read them and I have to remind myself, now, what is this about? Who are these people? What is what is Jesus trying to communicate here? I mean, some of them are pretty hard to get a, a, a grip on. But this one right here, I mean, there's a a lot of giveaways throughout it. You don't have to know a whole lot about that culture. You don't have to know about the fact that there are landowners that own the land from a far away. That was normal. You don't have to know those things. You can you can see a lot of what is going on very clearly. The landowner is God. The vineyard, the kingdom of God, the tenants, um, probably the religious leaders of the day under in uh, in Matthew's gospel. They understood that they were the ones that were being described as the tenants. The servants are the Old Testament prophets that are being sent. And Jesus, of course, is the son. Now, those who were being addressed, they understood what was going on here uh, because the response, the response is that surely not Surely not, this will not happen. Well, you know, I started thinking about that. I started going, okay, what is the surely not about? Is the surely not that this won't happen to the son? Or is the surely not that the land will be given to others? And I had to think about that a little bit. and, And so I looked at Matthew, I looked at Mark and the story there. And, um... I think that if we go back and we look at the context, that's when we kind of understand. So if you go back, if you've got your Bible open, you can look just a couple sections back. You'll see the triumphal entry has just taken place. And this is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you remember, Jesus comes in, comes in on a donkey. And one of the things that... Uh, that is said here, this is actually very interesting, is when they yell out, they yell, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from Psalm 118. And then after that, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. As he's coming into town, then Jesus cleanses the temple. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus, his they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? And uh, Jesus then asked them a question. They won't. An- they refused to answer because of fear. And so then Jesus does not answer. And so I think that if we walk back through and we see, I think we can see that, sure, that the surely not is the idea that surely not. That the kingdom is going to be taken away from us and given to others. Surely it's not going to be taken from Israel. Surely not that something Radical like this would change because of you, Jesus, what you are doing. I mean, remember, these are the religious leaders who, I mean, the great drama of the New Testament. So much of the great drama is about Jesus's battle with the religious leaders. They don't like him. They don't believe him. And they are constantly fighting against him. And then Jesus After telling the story and after the surely not, he answers and says, what then is this that is written? 
And, you know, actually, let's back up a little bit. Because the surely not is actually very important. And the reason why is because the, the language there is more of a that's impossible. It's a challenge to who he is by saying that. Surely not. That is impossible, Jesus, that what you are saying is going to happen. Not that that's impossible because they already wanted to destroy him. But it's a, that's impossible that God would actually give what he has given to us to others. Then he quotes Psalm 118 again. We see, he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, um, of course, Jesus is the uh, the rejected stone. And here in Luke, we only get verse 22, which is enough. But in Matthew, we get a little bit more. In Matthew, we get... Um, Psalm uh, 118, verses 22 and 23. We get, he adds, this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our sight. This thing that we see is marvelous. Now, when you hear marvelous, don't hear marvelous as in, we kind of hear it in a funny way almost, like somebody looks marvelous. Hear it as, this is something to marvel at. This is something that is that is wonderful. Something that would put somebody in uh, full of wonder. In other words, this idea of what is what God is doing through Jesus and is going to do because of their rejection of Jesus is something for them to look at with a gaping mouth going. How could this be? The very one whom the religious leaders are rejecting is in fact the Messiah. And this is something for them to marvel at. You know, it would be one thing for them to reject him and it be somebody else or, or, or all, all that would be accomplished would be you know, done some way else. So, you know, they reject the cornerstone or they reject Jesus as a stone but then something else is the cornerstone on which everything will be built that God is going to do. That would be that'd be pretty amazing. But the fact that they have actually rejected Jesus as the cornerstone. And he is the cornerstone. He's the thing on which everything, all the hopes and fears of all the world are going to be realized in his work. And it's the very thing standing in front of them that they're rejecting. That's something to look at and to marvel at. So we've looked at the, the small story. We've looked at the big point, kind of explaining where Jesus was going with his story, showing the fact that Jesus, even though they are rejecting him, even though these religious leaders are rejecting them, I mean, immediately they're going to go and say, We've we got to kill this guy. We've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to destroy him because he's going to take the power away from us. I mean, he immediately begins to fulfill what was what is a parable becomes actually prophetic. So we see that. But but what do we need to see? What do we as 21st century 
Americans need to see. I've got three things. The first one is, is we are the others. I was reading this and it really struck me that in Jesus being rejected by the religious leaders and by Israel, that we become the we become the beneficiaries of that. We're the others. We're the ones that are that it's going to be given over to. And that was a very that's a very sobering thought. It's very good news. I mean, it's 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 great news for us. But it's a very sobering thought. They're rejected. Their their rejection resulted in Jesus' sacrifice for sin so that we might experience the salvation. They did kill the son of God. They killed the son of the landowner. And And when they did it, it was something for us to marvel at. And it was the Lord's doing. I mean, we can look back and we can see, I mean, just the story itself and him telling this parable, you can see that this is, it's, it's so profound that he sees it and they don't see it. And it's the very hope that they needed. And it is something for us to marvel at. It's the kind of thing that we should marvel at daily. It's the, it's the hope that we have. We as the others get the, the benefit of marveling in the midst of good times and in struggles and in failure at what they rejected. But now, we have to be careful though because it's easy to go, it's easy to really kind of look at them and go, what a bunch of foolish, foolish people. In front of them, at that moment, That dramatic moment in which Jesus is saying, this is what you're going to do to me. You are going to do this. You are going to kill me, the son of God. They could not see it. They did not want to see it. There was a willful blindness there. And it's easy for us to look at them and go, what a bunch of arrogant fools they were. To not see it. To go, there is, I mean, imagine what they're thinking. There's no way God would do this. This is not the kind of thing that God would do. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like his standards. The things he was teaching. And they certainly didn't like the people he was associating with. Just before this, if you look in, um, if you look in uh, uh, the book of Matthew, he tells the, the parable of the, Uh, I believe it's called the parable of the two sons. And he says, truly, I say to you, and he's talking to the religious leaders again, and he's he's really uh, needling them. And he says, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go before you into the kingdom of God. They hated hearing that. They could not imagine that this is the way God would do things. And they looked, and we look at them and we go, that's so foolish. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we have the same problem oftentimes, don't we? As individuals, as churches, collective communities, we, our expectations of what God is doing and will do 
are wrong. You know, they, their, their first thought was, it's impossible that God would do this through somebody like you, Jesus. It was unimaginable that the kingdom would be taken from them. It just seemed all wrong. And so, we need to realize that there's a little bit of us, a little bit of the us, is the, even though we're the others, in that foolishness. I mean... We've all kind of grown up in a culture, or at least most of us probably in this room have grown up in a culture where Jesus is respected. I mean, you grow up, especially in the southern part of the United States, and Jesus is respected, right? Nobody, I mean, even if you're not a believer, you don't show disrespect to Jesus. I'll tell you a story one time. I was, uh, back when I was doing youth ministry, I had uh, a student who was uh, not a believer. And he would tell you he was not a believer. And one time we were passing out Bibles. And I, I just, you know, there were these little flimsy uh, Bibles. And I, I, I threw a Bible to him. And it shocked him that I would throw a Bible. I mean, it was like I was doing something. In his standards, it was wrong for him to do that. Even unbelievers in our culture have a profound respect for Jesus. These religious leaders did not have very much of a respect for Jesus at all. But even though we've grown up with this respect for Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, would we really act a whole lot different if someone like Jesus with the teachings that he taught and the people he associated with if he showed up on the scene? We have to ask that question. I mean, ask it as individuals. Is this the kind of person that we would 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 we assume Jesus? I mean, God is doing something through a person such as this. So we are the others. Often our expectations are wrong about what God is doing or will do. And the third, this parable is about Jesus's authority. It's all about his authority. When they ask Jesus just before this, they ask him the question. He's teaching in the temple. He's just he's just, you know, gone in the temp, the temple with all that anger and turned over the tables. And um, he's in the temple teaching. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they come to him and and they say, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, let me ask you a question. Um, You tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? So in other words, was John's ministry something that that came from God or was it instituted by himself or by other men? And they were afraid to answer because they said, if we say it's from John, if we say it's from heaven... Then Jesus is going to go, well, why didn't you believe him if you said it was from heaven? But if we say it's from man, we've got to be afraid of the people because the people loved John. They believed him. And so they they said, we don't know. So Jesus said, I'm not going to answer you anyway. But then he goes and actually this parable is the answer to that question. This parable is actually saying this is the Lord's doing by pointing back to Psalm 118. When the people cried out, blessed is the name of the Lord, earlier in the triumphal entry, Jesus is now saying, this is, he he quotes from the same psalm, saying, I am the authoritative son of the landowner who has been sent, and you are now rejecting me. So, he is the beloved son, the cornerstone of all God is doing. And this is this is really good news, right? I mean, this is 
This is where we get our gospel from. That even though the stiff, starch-shirt religious leaders of the day who couldn't handle Jesus rejected him, the needy did not reject him. Think about the ones that went to him and willingly followed him and his authority by saying, we, will, we accept your authority. It was people like the prostitutes and the tax collectors. It was, it was fishermen. It was the people who were the most likely to see their need. The religious leaders, they didn't see a need for repentance in their lives. They didn't see a need for somebody like Jesus. They, they, they did not see someone to save, they did not see the need for someone to save them from the problem of themselves. And so they willingly accepted his authority. But the religious leaders of the day said, we can't accept this guy's authority. But not the prostitutes and the tax collectors, not the ones who would have been seen as sinners, not the kind of people who would beat their breasts in the temple and say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. They are the ones who looked at the stone that the builders rejected, the chief cornerstone, and they said, Jesus, this one right here, this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done in Jesus. In saving us from the great problem of our sin within us. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see that. And that we would willingly accept your authority because we're needy. Help us to see that none of us has it all together. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We pray that our time in it, that you would bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.